Hello there. Welcome to the Africa Rights Talk Podcast, a center for human rights podcast series exploring a range of human rights issues through conversations with academics, practitioners, and activists. I am your host, Victoria Amici. Let's dive in. everyone. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. The podcast is titled Digital Rights in Lesotho, Freedom of Expression and Information Disorder in Lesotho. My name is Mary Stella Aumasimiu. I work with the Center for Human Rights at the University of Pretoria. Specifically, I work with the Expression, Information and Digital Rights Unit at the Center for Human Rights. Today, I am joined by my guest called Sukunyane Lehetso. I have already told him that I apologize in advance for my East African tongue, but I am going to give him an opportunity right now to introduce himself, tell us a little bit about himself and his professional background. Over to you, Lehetso. Thank you so much, Mary Stella, for having me. Like you said, uh, my name is Lecheto Ntsukunyani. I'm from the Mountain Kingdom of Lesotho. I work as the National Director for the Media Institute of Southern Africa, the Lesotho Chapter. Thank you. Thank you very much, and thank you for joining us today. And I know we'll hear more about you and the work that you do in our podcast today. So just as a starting yes. point of thinking about our podcasts, I, I just recalled a webinar that I attended last week that was posted by Misa Lesotho on information disorder and hate speech in Southern Africa. And I remember when I was doing that podcast, it just struck me how often we discuss issues of freedom of expression and information disorder broadly in Africa and globally, and how still it is quite a very important discussion. It has not waned in terms of importance. And while yes, it it's a very popular subject in civil society and in media, I always wonder when we go to the public sphere, the broader public sphere, to what extent we're engaging on this particular issue, given its importance in our democracy. And as a starting point, I always think, let's conceptualize what we are talking about. As I said, in civil society and media, we talk about it a lot. And sometimes we, we take for granted that when we are throwing the terms real expression and information disorder, sometimes not everybody knows the nitty gritty of this particular term. So let's start from there. Why do we need to talk about freedom of expression? What is freedom of expression? Why is it important? What is information disorder? Is it a challenge to freedom of expression? Why does it need to be addressed? So let's start from there. You know, Mary Stella, it is important to talk about and address the issue of information disorder now more than ever. Why am I saying so? Because we are in the information era where we receive lots and lots of information from every corner. You know, everywhere you go, it's information. People use their phones. It's information after information, rivers and rivers and mountains of information. And it is very critical that we are able to save that very information as the members of the society to say which information is good for us and which information is not. There's a lot of uh, uh, information disorder in the very information that we get from our gadgets, from our phones, uh, from the WhatsApp groups, from 
uh, Facebook, and many other social media platforms where uh, we are bombarded with lots and lots of information. You know, we are in an era now, Mary Stella, where we spend a lot of our time on our gadgets, going through information all the time. It could be visual information, and most of the time it is text, and we're spending a lot of time going through that information. But what is important is whether that information is good for us. Because the information, uh, it's meant to build the capacity of the society, help the society make choices, make the right choices. But where the that kind of information is, it's information that is twisted. The information that is meant to, to decapacitate the society or destabilize the, the nation, then that is not good information. And we are living exactly in those times where now there's a lot of information that could destabilize the nation. Also, within that, we also have the information that is good, that we can, that is good for consumption, that people can consume and make the right choices on it. And that is exactly what is happening in Lesotho, Mary Stella. We have a lot of, we have a lot of information that stabilizing, while at the same time we have that information that is uh, meant to build the the capacity of the society. Mm-hmm. Thank yes. you for thank you for setting that foundation. You've um, depicted a sort of double-edged sword nature of our current information yes. ecology. We have now um, unprecedented access to information, but on the other side, we have information that can be nefarious in certain ways. And you also talked about how it claims our it claims our attention and some some extent that could be negative when it comes, for example, to issues of mental health and productivity. But even in the other side, when you mentioned the harmful information that that we see in the information ecosystem, can you break it down some more? Um, what would you term as harmful information that we as stakeholders need to be concerned about in the broader conversation of the quality of our democracy, the quality of information that we have access to? Okay, thank you. We have different forms of information disorder. Mainly, it's about the intention. We can differentiate these types of information disorder by by the intention of the person who manifests the information, who creates that information, who then passes that information. We have what we call, basically called misinformation, uh, Mary Stella, where now um, as we do, we continue to do our everyday assignments and um, mandate, we are supposed to disseminate the information and without intention of any causing any malice or um, any harm to anyone, we happen to pass that information and that information is not thoroughly fact-checked. It's not entirely correct. So, and without us knowing so, we pass that information and then as we do so, it happens to be information that is not true, information that can cause harm, the information that can uh, destabilize. But but we have no intention, uh, while we pass the information, while we disseminate that information, we have no intention to mislead the consumers of such information. That's misinformation. And, but again, but then again, 
we have this information that we put together so that we can indoctrinate the or deceive the people that are going to receive the, this information so that we can gain from that from that uh, deceit uh, we can gain most of the time this is done by the the political activists you know uh, sometimes they call it propaganda they would pass a certain information they would put together certain information to say let's tell the nation this because this is what we want to achieve sometimes it it's for the purposes of for, for the purposes of gaining a political mileage while discrediting the the opponent sometimes this is manifested such that we are able to discredit the opponent so that the people could see our opponent in a certain uh, manner which is not true but then we put this such that we can gain the, the political mileage that is disinformation it's quite dangerous it's quite dangerous and it happens even here in Lesotho where people manifest uh, information and they put it out there especially using the social media platforms sometimes they put it uh, on groups like whatsapp and then we keep forwarding that information the more you forward that information the more it becomes viral and then it's it's a, a, a it certainly causes harm to the nation the entire nation as it's being passed every day uh, every now and then that is disinformation we also have part the other type of uh, information disorder we term as malinformation most of the time in malinformation that's where we see a lot of exaggeration um we see um sensationalization as it's been put there sometimes the information could be true but then it's so um overstretched it's so exaggerated that it loses its true nature such kind of information so we we call that um a malinformation it is mostly for example it is mostly used in the in the adverts in the in the, in the commercial adverts uh, uh, that is where we see a lot of uh, malinformation used there where uh, where as you, you add, as brands are being advertised you know there'll be that exaggeration that is being uh, used to say for example if this is a lotion and then it, they will tell you that within 3 uh, days you you using this lotion then you will your skin will change your skin color will change from black to white or from white to black other way around so those are some of the enticing um messages that they put behind the adverts so it's a lot of exaggeration that is being uh, put in that so that is mal information it's 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 also gaining momentum in the country in Lesotho um but not as um harmful and and uh, effective as the 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 disinformation other than that uh, meristella we also have other forms of uh information disorder like uh, hate speech mm-hmm. uh, it's also uh, so much uh, happening in the country in the sutu where people use derogatory messages against others to assassinate their character to make them feel unwanted characterize them in a certain manner that is so demeaning so it's 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 hate speech that we see also 
in our social media platforms, in our even in our mainstream media. Quite recently, we see that happening, where people use hate speech uh, to critique others. But in a manner, especially with women, Mary Stella, women are so much the victims of hate speech in our social media platforms uh, and even in our mainstream media. Uh, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's an advent in the Soto, which is quite quite um, uh, unnecessary and compromises now uh, our rights as as the citizens. Um, some of our rights that includes our rights to privacy, uh, our rights to access to information, our rights now to voice our opinions. Mm-hmm. So those are the characters that are that are quite disturbing. Okay. Yes. Uh, as a starting point, there you've actually done a good job with conceptualizing it. You've talked about misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, hate speech, which are the most common when we talk about this concept of information disorder and information pollution. And you mentioned something about WhatsApp yes. groups. Um, when you're talking about misinformation, we always joke how in these closed spaces, these closed spaces of family and friends that um, popular in WhatsApp groups is where you will find a lot of misinformation. And in some of the engagements I've been in, um, people in media and human rights defenders and civil society always joke that they seem to be the main fact checkers in these groups that yes. they feel that <laughs> the family and friends are going to always be careful when he's when he's online because he seems to be fact checking so much of the news that is shared in these closed spaces. And you did bring in that yes. the intersection here between the intention to cause harm and the falsity around it because for misinformation ideally there is no intention to cause harm but there's a spread of false news in disinformation it's um it's it's more insidious the fact that there is actually an intention to cause harm then there's the malinformation yes. you brought in interesting angles there and there's also something else that you've discussed around malinformation in terms of how how it could be actually even accurate information that meant to be shared sometimes in a private space but is removed from that private space and you brought in also the gender when it comes to this information disorder and hate speech and how it's targeted sometimes even towards women and how it does impact how they can participate in the public sphere so thank you very much for that you did mention a bit yeah. about how this has been happening in Lesotho I wonder if you want to go to explore that a bit more in uniquely about Lesotho and what you're seeing as Mr Lesotho what you're seeing as a journalist in terms of how these challenges to the exercise of freedom expression are impacting the exercise of different rights in Lesotho. I wonder if you want to just explore that a bit more uniquely to the Lesotho context. Thank you, Maristella. In Lesotho, particularly or commonly around election period, mm-hmm. we see a lot of disinformation that that has been passed around by the political activists um it is almost everyone who are the purveyors of the this kind of information because it is crafted in a way that sometimes it 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 it, it would entice you into actually believing the information uh, as the consumer yourself 
And as you do so, you start now passing that information as is. And it happens a lot of times around elections. Um, the election time in Lesotho. And um, some of the media practitioners, uh, it is quite um, uh, unfortunate that are used by some politicians, by some political activists to pass these messages. And in Lesotho, we still have that culture where people have so much trust bestowed uh, in the journalists, especially radio journalists and as well as newspaper journalists. So they know that the minute this information is passed through a journalist of this caliber, then the people are quick going to believe what is being said. So as media practitioners in the suit, we become victims as well of this kind of information because it will be crafted in a way that uh, it, will, it, will, it will even entice you. They would even, at some point, there are cases that are reported here at Misa Lesotho where people are even being bribed to carry that information with them, to carry that information in their stories, in their everyday stories, whether they are radio journalists, whether they are uh, newspaper journalists, to carry that information, make it a point that every time they report, they include that information. And there are reports that some of them are being even uh, uh, given uh, some, some handouts, some finances that uh, to carry uh, such kind of messages. It's very sad because the situation in Lesotho is that at present we are in the in, we are so much uh, investing all our efforts as the civil society organizations and the government towards the reforms. There is a multi-state, there is multi-sectoral reforms that are taking place in the Soto uh, since, uh, I think, around 2017. Up until now, we are still um, uh, working on the on the multi-sectoral reforms that include uh, the media as a sector, because it had been found out through studies by 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 the researchers that the the media sector in the Soto, the media space in the Soto, has played a very pivotal role uh, in terms of the disturbability that we saw in Lesotho around 2014, around 2015, and even uh, beyond in around 2012 and other other uh, years where there was so much disability, dis uh, disability uh, that was happening in, in the country, political instability, security instability. So the media had uh, had been pivotal in, in, in some of these issues. So that's how the issue of particularly disinformation has affected the freedom of the press in the Sutu, as well as uh, access to information, the privacy, as well as uh, uh, freedom to for, for, for the citizens to express themselves. This uh, freedom of, uh, of expression, Mary Stella, is enshrined in the constitution of the Sutu. Section 14 of, uh, of the constitution. Uh, prescribes uh, the, the 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 rights uh, for the people to to express to freely uh, express uh, themselves, they express their opinions. So, with the disinformation that we see, that is being slowly curtailed, that is being slowly affected. Let me make an example that uh, recently we have this what we call the the 
um, Computer Crimes and Cybersecurity Bill of 2023. This is the same bill that was that the government established in 2021. Mm -hmm. And there were qualms about that bill. Certain provisions of the bill. We are not saying uh, because we as Minister, we are party to these developments where we we said some of the provisions in this bill, um, you know, they are so overstretching and going over the board to affect freedom of expression as enshrined in the Constitution of Lesotho. They curtail freedom of expression uh, and they also um, shrink in the space of the media, uh, media freedom in the country. So those are some of the provisions that are in that bill. You see, the government could have a good spirit behind uh, the formation of that bill to say, we are trying to cap the disinformation that we see happening in the country. But as they do so, that now overstretches now to curtail freedom of the media, to curtail also freedom of expression and access to information, and also borders on the people's privacy. The government before this bill uh, introduced the, the, the regulations on the registration of uh, a SIM card used. Also the, the mobile the mobile devices are supposed to be registered as well as the, the, the SIM cards. This is so that the government now is able to trace who is saying what, at what platform, how far is it uh, disinformation, how far is this disinformation, misinformation, malinformation, hate speech, and they are able to track you now. Uh, so this is, that in a, in a way is, a, is some form of surveillance that is being uh, conducted on the private citizens. Mm -hmm. against their right to privacy as also enshrined in the constitution so these are some of the disturbing issues that we see around that are brought about by the information disorder as we had asked Mary Stella. Thank you for that uh, very elaborate uh, look into what's happening in Lesotho and I actually have two questions the first one in my in my understanding here was actually an indictment on media in Lesotho in terms of their role as purveyors of this information. And ideally, the media is supposed to be an institution of trust. It's plays a watchdog function on society. It's relied upon, as you said, for access to information. But do I would like your opinion on how media now in Lesotho, what can we say positively? Are they trying to address, as you say, this media reform that is happening? How can they work? towards ensuring that they play their nomadic function in terms of watchdog public educators as well as, you know, an, an honest platform for public debate or shaping public debate. So that would be my first question based on your indictment of media in Lesotho and their role when it comes to information disorder. And second, uh, you actually led us into our next conversation, which was around how to protect freedom of expression under the Lesotho legal framework. And you mentioned the constitution and you also mentioned the computer crimes bill. And it seemed from your brief introduction of it that you do not agree with some of the provisions of how it has approached regulation around issues around disinformation or generally the concept of false news. What are the recommendations that Ms. Lesotho or yourself as a journalist are putting forward with regards to the computer crimes bill and what should be done to ensure that it's actually in compliance with um, the advancement of freedom of expression in Lesotho as well as international laws and standards in this regard? 
we fortunately we are being engaged Mary Stella as the civil society organizations as the media practitioners by the authorities in the attempt to promulgate these uh, laws although we are engaged in much much very late uh, stages but we are indeed being engaged and consulted um we hope that with the consultations that are taking place now because quite recently the minister of communications was about to table the bill that is the computer crimes and cybersecurity bill of 2023 uh, before the parliament for the parliament to pass it and we had through the credit van that the minister was going to do this and just fortunately enough just by the call uh, we were able to call her and then warned the minister that look please don't table the the document before the parliament before we engage us because in 2021 because this is the same document minister that was um, introduced in 2021 you know what happened in 2021 in 2021 the, the then minister of communications and without any consultations with the stakeholders including Ms Alsoto tabled the document before the parliament to say this is the uh, computer crimes and cyber security of 2020 bill of 2021 um for the parliament now to um read it and eventually uh, pass it as a law um but then when the parliament received that document then in 2021 it advised itself through the portfolio committees that that are there in parliament the, the relevant portfolio committee committee advised itself to say before we can recommend that this um bill is passed let's hear from the relevant stakeholders stakeholders including Ms Alsoto and other civil society organizations the TRCs and the 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 the, the Lesotho Council of Non-Governmental Organization and uh, and all that and fortunate fortunate enough the as the the portfolio committee um called the consultations we were now for the first time able to see the 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 document and go through it and we were quite shocked by some of the provisions in the in that document which we thought were quite violating um some of the rights that were enshrined in the constitution of Lesotho as well as some of the international uh, documents that Lesotho had signed so that's when that's that was the only time we managed now to be engaged by the parliament and after the parliament had consulted us thoroughly very stellar it made a, a very clear recommendation to the national assembly to the entire parliament to say that this bill should be withdrawn from parliament with immediate effect for the minister for the relevant minister to go back and make further consultations and review some of the uh, provisions that are that are that are which which um, the civil society organizations including Ms Alsoto raised concerns on them 
This is the same uh, bill, Mary Stella, that is now being just renamed to say this is the 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 the, the, the computer crimes and cybersecurity bill of 2023. And the verifications that were made in 2021 and the recommendations that we had put forward to the ministry uh, for them to review some of the provisions, they they were there were no there there wasn't as you look at the, the 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 current bill and in comparison with that one of the of, of 2021, it's the same content. There was no review that was made that that was that, that was made. There was the all the recommendations that we had made in 2021 have not been considered in the 2023 bill. So uh, fortunately, after we called the minister as she was about to table the document in parliament, she was able to she was able to listen to us and then heard us and uh, she called a dialogue on the on the on the document and that's where now we were able to raise again our concerns on the on some of the provisions and we made it clear Mary Stella that we are not saying uh, the bill in its spirit in its spirit in its original spirit of fighting crime um, and protecting Basoto um, against uh, these ingenious uh, criminals on, online who are harassing uh, women, who are harassing children on the, uh, 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 online. We, we, we are not saying we are against that, uh, we are against that, but we are saying these provisions, certain provisions here, uh, you know, they, they border on issues, uh, on the following issues. And that's what we basically did uh, during that dialogue that was called by the, uh, the, the minister uh, quite recently. I think it's last month. So we are hoping, in fact, from, from that meeting, Maristella, the minister had since made a, a decision that uh, we should now come back with a written submission, a formalized submission to say, these are the 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 the, the provisions that are that we have concern on, and these are the alternative uh, um, uh, suggestions, the, the alternatives that we make to the to those provisions. So we are yet to make a written submission. The minister is yet to call us back to say, for us to submit that uh, those uh, submissions. So these are the engagements that I'm talking about to say these are the engagements that could probably save our lives at the end of, of, of the day. If I could ask a question with regards to that, I, I see there was an extent of public participation and consultation with the 2021 bill and the 2023 bill, though it, it doesn't seem like it was intentional as what should be the usual, the usual measure when it comes to the ordinary life of a bill in parliament. And I, I wonder here, just for the audience, the reason why the initial submissions and the initial um, recommendations that were made by civil society and media initially, was it an issue of a gap in terms of maybe how the information was carried forward? Was it because that there was no initial written submission that was submitted by the stakeholders? Was it a lack of political will, though I see there is a bit, there is a measure of political will in the minister engaging with stakeholders. So what was the gap here that 
restrained are, or limited the incorporation of the initial recommendations by stakeholders in the bill? You see, Maristella, there is either a limited, limited consultations that have been made by the ministry when promulgating or when establishing or crafting this the bill, because the, the bill itself, the originally they are being crafted at the ministerial level. Mm-hmm. And it is a requirement, it's a constitutional requirement for the ministries when they uh, craft this bill to, to make consultations. It is a constitutional requirement in this suit. But one, it is they do they do consultations, but in a very limited uh, uh, manner. Or they don't do consultations at all, at all, at all. Because we are not the only ones, as Ms. Alasutu, who are saying we are seeing this document for the first time when it has been presented in Parliament. And it, now it happens for the second time that the same document that was taken to the Parliament in 2021, the current minister, you know, took it upon herself to take the document to the Parliament again without satisfying her themselves that um, consultations, further consultations with stakeholders were made uh, when the when the, when this document was being uh, crafted, or at least the submissions that we made in 2021 were 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 considered, and the the, the provisions that are in question were reviewed. So none of that happened, but still the minister uh, took the uh, document to the to the attempted to take the document uh, uh, to be tabled before parliament. Had we not had the through the grapevine, the, the grapevine that she was taking the document to the parliament, and we, we we didn't call her at that moment to say to advise her not to put that document before the parliament, what could have happened? The the document would have went to parliament and probably passed into law by now. So there is that gap in the ministry where consultations, an issue of consultations is a big issue uh, when they promulgate the, or when they craft the bills. It was an issue with the, with the previous regulations uh, on mobile devices and SIM card registration. Mm-hmm. There was a big problem on consultations. You know, that very document, uh, the regulations on registration of SIM cards, it was also, the, the document was also withdrawn in parliament before it was later reviewed and now uh, brought back uh, into parliament and passed into the regulations. Because as we speak now, there is, the, the, the SIM cards are, are being registered uh, through that same law. But yeah. that law was reviewed uh, in line with our recommendations. Okay, and and now speaking to this particular bill, I figure one of the recommendations you made was with actual regards to the provision around information disorder, the regulation of information disorder, the regulation of false news. What was the tension here with the provision around false news? Basically, and mainly, uh, Maristella, the, the bill is trying to, through the back door, criminalizes um, disinformation, criminalizes information disorder. Mm-hmm. You see, why am I saying through the back door? 
We are saying this because in, in May 2018, the Constitutional Court of Lesotho made a judgment uh, in a case between the Lesotho Times. The Lesotho Times is a local newspaper where the judgment was to the effect that criminal defamation was annulled, was declared null and void by the, by the Constitutional Court. Sections 101, 103, and 104 of the Penal Code Act of 2010 were annulled by the Constitutional Court, the highest court in the land, where they were they were annulled um, to the fact that the criminal defamation was inconsistent with the constitution of of, of Lesotho, in particular section 14, which which um, uh, speaks to the issue of freedom of expression of opinion by the citizens. So, but with the bill, with the bill now criminalizes defamation. It criminalizes disinformation, misinformation, and all the, the information uh, is order, as you have rightly put. It's interesting you've mentioned that as uh, the criminalization of false news. There is actually a study that we did, um, the center together with uh, a number of stakeholders, where we developed this tool called Lexota and it looked at uh, the, regulatory, the regulatory landscape around disinformation in sub-Saharan Africa. And one of the concerns that was raised to this tool we call Exota is that a lot of the margin laws we are seeing in this regard, a lot of the old laws we see being used in this regard look towards criminalizing false news. And when you look at international law, it calls on states to adopt laws that are rights respecting and the criminalization of false news is actually not in alignment with international laws and standards. When you look at the Declaration on Principles of Freedom Expression and Access to Information in Africa, Principle 22 particularly calls on states to decriminalize laws on false news. But it's interesting that Lesotho, yes, you, you're a signatory and have ratified the African Charter on Human and People's Rights, uh, has ratified seminal instruments and in international, it but it's still still laws that are at variance with international laws and standards. So the issue here is it a gap with parliamentarians when it comes to understanding the international law obligations under this. I know in Southern Africa you have the SADC law on computer crimes, the, the SADC uh, model law on computer crimes and cyber and and cyber crime and cyber security. Sorry. Yes. So what is the gap here? Is it a knowledge gap with our parliamentarians or is it a lack of political will? What is it that stakeholders need to do to ensure that the coming up bills, including the Lesotho bill, is in compliance with these requirements that call for states not to criminalize the publication of false news because it's against the right to freedom expression? I think it is mostly um, has to do with the latter, lack of political will. Mm-hmm. You know, this is exactly this is exactly why, uh, Stella, we believe so much that citizens should be capacitated. Mm-hmm. You know, the laws, yes, the laws, yes, we need the laws to regulate some of these things, but 
the biggest ammunition against um, information disorder is for us to build the capacity of the citizens through awareness uh, activities, capacity building um, initiatives, sensitization by, by all uh, uh, means, because the people can be able to now see for themselves um, the right information as opposed to the wrong information that they get online, mostly online, uh, because Lesotho has signed these treaties. They, it has signed these international instruments that if they now promulgate laws that decriminalizes uh, false information, then that is basically against those instruments. Mm -hmm. In fact, to start with, it is basically against Section 14 of the Constitution of Lesotho of 1993. So we are not in any way, we are not expect. at least we are not expecting we, as members of the media, you're not expecting the government to now or in the future promulgate any laws that criminalizes um, false information. That is quite dangerous, uh, Mary Stella, against freedom of uh, the press, against freedom of expression of opinion, against access to information as the rights. You've actually now even yes. us towards um, the recommendations part of our discussion as we come towards the end of our podcast, because you've gone now into capacitating uh, the public. What more do we need to do as stakeholders to ensure that the approaches we are seeing with regards to addressing this challenge of information disorder are actually rights based, rights respecting, rights promoting and protecting as opposed to what we've been seeing in a number of countries in Africa and as you've made, you know, raise concern in Lesotho too. I think we need to invest more on awareness, advocacy, initiatives, Maristella. Mm -hmm. We need to be seen to be doing more public outreach um, uh, uh, initiatives where we build the capacity of the nation in terms of, because as we do so, we are also keeping um, the, 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 the irresponsibility that comes with people sharing information that is not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. People, most of these people, they are just innocent people who do not know that this information which we are sharing everywhere, it's, it's, it's not right. It's not factual. It has not been, it has not been fact checked. So the more we can do more lobbying, more advocacy, more awareness activities, more trainings for our media practitioners, especially on, on, on issues around information disorder, then we believe, we of Misa Lesotho, that we can slowly curb the, the effects, uh, the negative effects of information disorder. True, true. I'd love also a recommendation towards uh, parliamentarians. Uh, I know you mentioned political will, but sometimes I also wonder whether uh, parliamentarians, when it comes to regulating certain ills when it comes to free expression. They go to, for the offensive of criminalization without understanding properly. You know, Mary Stella, 
that is exactly the point you know even though i put it uh, this way that it is mostly uh, the political will mm-hmm. you know these some of these parliamentarians we ga- we gather them as Mr. Lesotho, and then talk about these issues mm-hmm. most of them would be hearing about these issues for the first time this is very concerning. they are not <laughs> yes very concerning it's very yeah. concerning highly concerning yes so mm-hmm. we need to also engage them we need to engage we should not take it that they know everything and anything that happens around uh, uh, legislation no they don't know some of these things some of these things they hide behind their their, their bags so every time we are there to sensitize them to engage them to deliberate uh, with them they are they are they, they tell us that look you have opened our eyes look this is what happened this is this is a typical example uh, Mary Stella, that in 2021 after we made a presentation before the portfolio committee of the parliament about the concerns that we had with some of the sections uh, in within the bill they were they found it fit after that presentation to recommend that that bill be withdrawn from parliament there and then and that's what exactly happened it was embarrassing to the minister it was very embarrassing to the minister when he was told that look take this bill back make consultations and make review mm-hmm. the grounds that they raised were exactly the presentation that we made before parliament as as misanso they used the very grounds that we we, 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 we the concerns that we, we raised as their grounds for rejecting for dismissing that bill uh, in parliament in 2021 so it goes to show that sometimes it's not about the lack of political will but it's basically about the capacity of the uh, leg- legislators themselves the mm-hmm. parliamentarians themselves are they capacitated how do we engage them do we engage them enough that we are able to build their capacity uh, so that even even without them con- having to consult us mm-hmm. they see themselves that there's not there's something wrong with these provisions Thank you for that. Um, what I'm hearing, especially from, you, from your statement right now, is just the importance of multi-stakeholder engagement, the importance of civil society vigilance when Pre- it comes precisely. to... Precisely. Yes, so the laws that we need to be very vigilant in that regard. And so as we come yes. to the end of our podcast, I wonder whether you have any last, um, any final words, any final thoughts on this particular issue. By us, I mean me, Salesutu, coming together with... Salesutu, a media practitioner. Any thoughts on this? Yes, yes, yes. Coming together with you, with with the Center for Human Rights at the University of Pretoria, um, and then engaging, uh, make sure that we come up with, with engagement initiatives. And it's, it's only that we we engage that way and then then we, we can be able to uh, address uh, these concerns that we have it should start with us me and you and others around us to say let, let, let us let build the partnership that is what we are lacking in Mary Stella, the partnership with with others and then making sure that uh, we also build our capacity and uh, are now able to go out and conduct the awarenesses, the, the lobbying and all that, uh, such that we can be able to uh, get where we want to be. 
Thank you very much for that. Thank you for your final thoughts. I am in complete agreement with that. Continued partnerships, continued yes. multi-stakeholder engagements is very important. Yes, we have a challenge here that needs to be addressed, but we need to do so in a manner that does not restrict unjustifiably or unreasonably and unlawfully our freedom of expression because we we cannot it's, it yes. cannot again say the importance of how we can freely express ourselves in whatever we do in however we do it it needs to be a way that is right respecting in compliance with the constitution yes. and in compliance with international laws and standards thank you thank you You're very welcome. much You're for welcome. taking the time to join us today to discuss a very important subject so that it is also a learning opportunity for other countries when we're looking at best practices and as well as um, lessons from other African countries. Thank you very much. Thank you, Maristella. Anytime. You have just listened to the Africa Rights Talk podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channels, social media platforms such as Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening.